Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I will be your host for the next hour. I'm also the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 45 strong up and down the state. And what that does is it allows you, if you have a paranormal issue, or you think you might have a paranormal issue, access to my team members because we're in almost every county in the state. And if we're not, we're within three, three to four counties away so I can get somebody out there. So you can look us up at CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com. Uh, Facebook, there's two California Haunts pages there, so we're really easy to find. Just Google us. Anyway, I want to welcome you all tonight. We've got a great show. We've got a great show set up with uh, Stephen Bassett. Going to be talking about UFO disclosure. And uh, after last night, it's kind of cool to have this. So, you know, we're going to put that together. Anybody that's still interested in attending tonight's special event with Nancy Matz, you can still sign up for that. Just go to the California Haunts meetup page and sign up there. Um, it's going to be directly after this show, probably about five or ten minutes after we get off the air here, because it gives me time to download this, you know, download this and clear some space. So, yeah, we're going to be here. It's going to be right here on StreamYard. It's going to be in a private room, and I'll be recording it for everybody. And, yeah, so head on over to California Haunts Meetup and uh, sign up. Come on in. Nancy, and Nancy's going to teach, you know, you had to be psychic. She's going to see how psychic you are and then take it from there. And Maybe she'll talk to a loved one or two for you. That kind of thing. So be sure to do that. And uh, everybody that's already signed up, uh, uh, make sure you have your links to come in. Let me know if you don't. And I'll get your links to join the, to, to join the read and, and all that good stuff. Anyway, um, just a few announcements. We're going to be doing a fundraiser for the team. And that fundraiser is going to be uh, the nice woman, lady who was on doing the portraits of the dead she has offered her services so we're going to do a fundraiser and whoever wins you know the the lottery for that is going to get a portrait done of a deceased loved one that's near you so it's going to be kind of cool so i'm making the arrangements for that as we speak right now and uh so just be patient and that's going to be coming up and stuff i'm also teaching a psychic development class on look at this i can't remember my days it's been such a it's been a wild day i've been up since six so it's just been one of them days, right? Let me look at my calendar. There we go. On the 23rd, <laughs> I can't remember what day it is. I'll be teaching a psychic, develop, psychic development class one, where I take you through um, psychic development and teach you how to handle any abilities that you might have and, and maybe bring out abilities you know that you, that you didn't know you had. And I also teach you how to control it, to open and close that psychic door so that you can keep the negatives out. Because once you open that door, not all that comes through is going to be nice, okay? So I teach you how to control that. I teach you how to do other body stuff. So if you're interested in that, head on over to the California Haunts Meetup again, and you can sign up, and that will be Saturday the 23rd to 7 p.m. Pacific. All right. Well, anyway, our guest tonight, again, is Stephen Passett. We're going to be talking about UFO disclosure. But you know how I am about talking about people behind their back. No, talking about people's background. I'm going to get him on here, and I'm going to let him tell you about himself and how he got into looking into this stuff, because it's not something that somebody does every day. So here we go. Hello, sir. I'm just fine. Charlotte, how are you? Fine. How are you? Excellent. <laughs> tell me about yourself. How does somebody get, get into like UFO disclosures? I'm a political activist. I got okay. involved in this issue in 1996. Uh, I worked in Washington and lived there most of my life, off and on, family there. So I, I knew it well. Mm -hmm. And uh, in 96, I made a decision to get involved in this issue. Uh, wasn't sure exactly how it would go, but I was willing to try. So I, I went and uh, helped out with John Mack's operation, the uh, legendary Harvard psychiatrist who started the program for extraordinary experience research up in uh, Cambridge, mm -hmm. spent about four months there, got to meet Dr. Mack. It was a great honor. And then I came up with the idea. I'm going to, I'm going to engage the politics of this mm -hmm. uh, because it's not a science problem. It never was. 
I, I was pretty sure there was an ET presence when I was 15 years old. Uh, and that was during the, uh, hmm, let me think. Uh, I think that was the Eisenhower administration. Um, but so why haven't we, why hasn't the government acknowledged this? What, what, why, why would this subject taboo and all of that? And I realized it was a political issue. The government made a political decision to embargo the reality of this from us. Like they embargoed Cuba from us. Can't go there, right? Won't let you go there. But the government wouldn't even acknowledge there was a Cuba. In other words, there's no there there that you can't go to, right? It was all crazy, but I figured it all it would all work its way out. Well, it hadn't by 1996. And I realized if we were going to get this issue, move this issue forward, if we, if we were going to find out what we need to know about it, we had to solve the political problem. And the political problem was it was embargoed for national security reasons. So that's what I did. I registered as a lobbyist. I formed a political action committee. I did all the usual things. I had very little money, but I did have a free place to live in Washington, D.C. So I started engaging the issue that way. And it drew press. The press were intrigued by this UFO lobbyist. Who was this guy? Where did he come from? Uh, since then, I've gotten over 580 articles that have written about my work and myself, uh, including New York Times, Washington Post, and all that. Should have written a couple of books, but tension span is about that big. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, you know you do. So uh, for the last uh, 16 years, 26 years, I have been engaging politically. But okay, so if I'm an activist, then what is the what is the prize? If you, any activist movement has to have a prize, right? It, it, it's just you just don't do activism for the hell of it, right? If there's nothing wrong and everything is fine, we don't need an activist. Uh, the, the women at one point wanted to be able to vote like everybody else, mm -hmm. and so they started a very long-standing activist movement. Went on for many decades, and it had a very simple prize: an amendment guaranteeing them right to vote, and they got it. Okay. Well, every movement has to have this. My, one of my contributions is that I, I, I tried to define what is the prize, if this is an, active, an activist movement, not just citizen science, meaning we're out science, doing science, going to prove something. What is the prize? The prize is, is getting the government to end the truth embargo. How would that happen? The government would have to confirm there's an extraterrestrial presence. Who would do that? Would have to be the president. Couldn't be the secretary of agriculture. Couldn't be some lieutenant colonel over at the Pentagon. Had to be the president formally confirming we're not alone. There's an ET presence here. I labeled that disclosure with a capital D. Small d disclosure had been in use going all the way back to the late 80s. Stephen Greer used it quite a bit. Uh, but I, I added, a, I, I, I made it a proper noun. Uh, a proper noun as opposed to just a regular noun. Capital D disclosure, the confirmation event. When the words come out of the president's mouth, there's a there's an extraterrestrial presence. That's disclosure. That's the prize. That's what we're trying to get. I didn't think I'd still be seeking it 26 years later, but the truth embargo is a serious matter for the government, and they have worked very hard to to maintain it. Uh, but it's just about over, so the prize is at hand. Uh, and of course, you'll want to talk about that tonight. Anyway, that's what I do. And the other question I have for you is, you said you you knew early on, you know, in your teens, that there were that that there were aliens. How, how did you figure that out, or how did you know it? Common sense, okay. right? It's like, again, if the government said you can't you can't we're embargoing Cuba, mm -hmm. and you said, okay, you mean I can't go there? Uh, yeah. And by the way, it doesn't exist. And you'd say, well, wait a minute. I I've actually sailed by it. I flew over it. I have a friend that used to live there. And so common sense tells me there's definitely an island. Down there. It's that simple because as early as the 19 late 1940s. Uh, and there's there you can find plenty of examples of this, including some articles on my website. I have 12,000 linked on my website of you know, press articles about this. But there's at least three times that many that were actually done. I just can't link to them. You have to go. You have to go through the archives of newspapers and, and go through the, the microfish, which I'm not going to do. Mm -hmm. But there were plenty of articles. There were articles in the 50s and 60s. I was reading these, and I read the article. Here's what happened. Blah 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 blah. I said, "Well, this is obviously extraterrestrial. There's no other explanation." I had no bias. I was not religious. Um, I didn't have a scientific bias. I was a kid. You know. And so to me, I read it, made common sense. 
I was particularly impressed in 1961. I was 15 at the time. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 61? What was that? Yeah, it's 15. Um, about the Look Magazine article of Betty and Barney Hill, the, the amazing encounter that they had. And I read the articles. Uh, it was a few, but particularly the Look Magazine. And I said, that was an extraterrestrial event. And so, again, could I prove it to, uh, to somebody else? No. But based on just the coverage, it was clear that it was. And so at that point, it, for me, it's a fact. Now, I put that aside and went through my life, uh, always noting the odd article that would turn up. Read a few books along the way, nothing huge, but it was late in life, later in life, that I began to get real serious about it, read some more. And I read John Mack's book, Abduction, which he put out in 1994, I believe, mm -hmm. uh, where he talked about his research with contactees as a Harvard psychiatrist, trained psychiatrist, and a Pulitzer Prize winner, and a highly regarded uh, international intellectual. And I'm going, well, this has come of age, right? This is it. And so I said, I'm getting involved. Uh, and that's, that's how it came about. But I, I want to emphasize, one, if you were to go back and read the news coverage at the time, they, they weren't doing deep investigation. They weren't going through the trash cans at the Pentagon. If you just go back and read the basic coverage at the time, a reasonable person would conclude this is not a, a, a human technology. Mm -hmm. This is can only be explained by extraterrestrials, unless they live in volcanoes or underground like the Mordock. I don't think so. Mm -hmm. So... Uh, and, and, and ultimately, the message I want to convey is, is that, well, since then, it's been proven a hundred times over by the mass of evidence, reports, documents, witness testimony, on and on and on. And so as you, as you read the current news coverage, as you learn about these developments that are happening one after another, thank God, be reminded, because it can be a little confusing. The U.S. government has known about the extraterrestrial presence since no later than 1947. They had ET bodies. They had a crash vehicle. Ultimately, I think they've had a number of crash vehicles. They have been no they've known about it since 47. They have been studying it intensively in every way possible since 47. It is all deeply classified. We don't know who the managers are. We don't know who the researchers are. We don't know the materials they have. We don't know where the programs are. We don't know what the outcomes are. But that has been going on for 75 years. So anything that sort of implies, that, oh, we just we just heard about this. Who knew? That's not the truth. It may be necessary as we move towards finally confirming the ET presence to the world. But it is the truth is they've known about it for 75 years. I remember on 56, I hate to admit that, but on 56, and I remember as a kid, Argosy Magazine, and I remember seeing an article with photos of dissection of extraterrestrials. Really? And this was probably back in like 68, 69. And I remember seeing this magazine. I never saw anything about it since, but I remember my, my dad used to subscribe to that. I'm going to look for that. that. That's before the alien autopsy events, yeah. right? When, they, when, that, when that occurred, which is still unsure, not unclear at all. Right. That predates that. And so, uh, hmm. Argosy. All right. I'll, I'll do a little research. See if I can't find that article. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I think it was Argosy magazine. And I was, I was just a little kid, but it impressed me enough because the aliens were laid on the table and, and, and they were dissecting. Again, that could very well have happened. And then those photographs suddenly disappeared, right? They kind of just whoever had them didn't have them anymore. Very mm -hmm. possible. Uh, so I'm going to look for that. There, there were that this subject was was uh, popular in a lot of the, uh, I don't want to call them men's magazines, but magazines like manly men's magazines, like Argosy and so forth. There were many back then. Not You don't see them quite as much now. Uh, so it up in places like that because the embargo was designed to keep it out of the New York Times, keep it out of the big magazines. Like the 61 uh, Barney, uh, uh, Barney Betty Hill article and look probably didn't please the Pentagon whatsoever. All right. Uh, uh, so you just didn't see them in the, in, the, in the highest end publications. But there were publications that would, would cover them, including, of course, the worst of the tabloids. The supermarket tabloids could throw that stuff in, right? Because they made it up. And so the government was happy for the tabloids to make some alien stuff up, put it in the tabloid, because that, again, 
added to the ridicule, added to the disdain to help keep this thing contained indefinitely, now 75 years, in a society, in a nation with very powerful free speech and mm -hmm. journalism protections, not, not, not an autocratic country, not, not, not a, uh, uh, a dictatorship. So the truth embargo had to be maintained under particularly difficult conditions. Stalin mm -hmm. didn't have such a problem. Uh, Hitler didn't have such a problem. Putin doesn't have such a problem. Mm -hmm. But we did not. We did have that problem. And so one of the great stories of the 20th century is how the United States government was able to maintain a position of we know nothing, right? And, and deny what millions of people were seeing with their lying eyes for seven and a half decades. It was not easy. It was incredibly significant uh, and, and, and quite an accomplishment, but I believe ultimately it will be seen as a mistake. They shouldn't have done it. They should have announced the ET presence in 1947. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of books I think in the works right now. Uh, I will not name names because that would be inappropriate, but don't be shocked if you see one, two, three books coming out in the not too distant future, sort of like The Man in the High Castle by Dick, namely alternative uh, history. Uh, mm -hmm. In other words, it's about the present. However, the extraterrestrial presence was disclosed all the way back in 1947. And what is the 21st century like under that historical scenario? It's a great concept. I believe there'll be several books like that. You know, American Horror Story just did a whole thing about that. And whoever's doing their research, I think is pretty good. Whoever does the research for that show. Because what they came up with was completely plausible. You know, that there, that there is a secret program going on that, that we're unaware of. And I, and I wouldn't doubt it. Like, you know, all this all this technology, like like with that one, the, 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 that one in trade, they got the microwave, you know, and all this stuff was happening. So I wouldn't doubt it. I really wouldn't doubt it. You know? Well, don't doubt it because it's absolutely true. Yeah. Now, to what to what extent the technologies that we enjoy today have a clearly a direct connection to anything extraterrestrial or maybe indirect? We don't really know. Uh, there there is some evidence out there. Philip Corso certainly talked about it in his book. Oh, actually, it was, but his the book was written by a, 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 essentially a, a co-author, Will Burns. Uh, not clear. I, I think there was an attempt to possibly try for the U.S. to benefit from that tech in the public sector, uh, and Corso may have been involved in that. It's not mm -hmm. clear how successful that was, but we do know this, that we don't have craft that can at least for most of the 20th century, we did not have vehicles that were anti-gravitic. And we sure as hell didn't have vehicles that could fly at those speeds. Right. So we probably didn't have the energy propulsion technology that they represented. We sure as hell didn't have vehicles that could go between planets. Mm -hmm. Now, those the crash vehicles that have occurred on our planet may not have that ability. The speculation is, I think the consensus is, that there are much larger craft that do interstellar travel and that these craft come from them. But in any event, we didn't have that tech. So if, since they have crash vehicles, without question, and we, we, we've had evidence of this and testimony, they have tried to re-engineer anything important at that the technology in those craft, the anti-gravitics, the energy system, and so forth. And if they have done that, it is not in the public domain. They have not allowed that in the public domain. That we know. There's little hints and clues that something's going on. Mm -hmm. Some interesting patents have been filed, whatever. But whatever those craft can do, if we have recreated that, it is not available to us. It is only available to the military intelligence complex for, I guess, defensive and possibly offensive purposes, which raises a very significant question one of a thousand questions that, the, that are embedded in the truth embargo. Um, and I, that's another reason why it's no longer appropriate for this embargo to continue. Whatever benefits ET derived technology can produce for us to deal with modern world, mm -hmm. which we're not dealing with very well, we need it, period. And any business about, well, it could be weaponized. Yeah, of course it could be weaponized. So what? Right? Don't weaponize it. 
right? But let's get it into use. And the one thing that the research community is most uh, focused on is the energy system. If they're not using coal, oil, gas, solar, right, or a bunch of hamsters running around in wheels, we need to have access to that because the energy issue is virtually at the center of most of the, the, the most dire circumstances that the human race is facing right now. And so to suppress that energy tech, if they have it for even a year or 10 years, is unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other thing I find interesting about all this, too, is I watch paranormal programs like anybody else. But the ones that I really like to watch are when the police and the fire department and the hospitals, you know, the nurses, are witnesses to this stuff. That's why every time I see, like, like this last thing that came out with, with the Navy fighter jets, when I see a military guy reporting this stuff in, or a pot, or an airline pilot, or a police officer, it makes me take notice more because those guys are trained observers. Of course. And there's just too many of those reports to, to, to kibosh. But those are a fraction of the encounters that military exactly. has had. There are thousands and there are thousands of members, active or retired and deceased, mm-hmm. of our military that have had encounters with this phenomena. The vast, vast majority were simply not either allowed to be reported or if reported, those reports are not available. All right that was necessary to maintain the truth embargo sure so so we will eventually learn just to the extent that there were uh, encounters and and incidents involving military personnel it's going to be shocking eventually the government will probably concede there have been thousands of them um but what's important now is that while witnesses have been coming forward for a number of years now they're coming forward in greater numbers and they're being heard uh the the Congress has gotten involved, legislation has taken place. All of this is unprecedented uh, uh, prior to 19, uh, 2017. And so what you can expect very soon is more congressional hearings, like the one we had on the 17th of May, but bigger and military witnesses are going to be testifying to this. That, that will be the that will mark virtually the, the final days and weeks of the truth embargo. It will not take many of those testimonies and hearings to finally allow the president to act. So we could be in the final weeks and months of the truth embargo, meaning the confirmation of the ET presence will come from our president. But there's uncertainties because we are also living in interesting times. Mm-hmm. Uh, not, not, that, not that the presence of extraterrestrials and the disclosure process isn't interesting. It's really interesting but interesting in the way the Chinese supposedly referred to it, meaning it's really dangerous and it's bad, and but it's not boring. Mm-hmm. So that, that we're having to deal with that. And I can talk about that if you wish. But yeah, th- th- these times are not easy to, to resolve an issue of this magnitude. That, they yeah. had got, that the Chinese had received a message from space. And then they turned around and, and backtracked it. They didn't receive a message from space, but a little something turned up that was interesting, like the wow signal. We've been there before. Uh, and because in, in, there's interest in this subject all over the world, including China. And China, by and large, has not suppressed this. Uh, Falun Gong, you've got a problem, but UFOs, no problem. Now, lately, though, things have gotten a little tighter in general, but there are plenty of researchers and interested groups in China that are not viewed as a threat to the, to the Communist Party. Uh, that The public knows a lot about it. Uh, the, the public does have uh, access to the internet. This is not, by and large, an embargoed subject in mm-hmm. Chinese social media. And so there's a lot of interest. And so anything little happens like here, it immediately gets blown up, right? Mm-hmm. And so some, we'll see something or something will be mentioned about Mars. And before you know it, it's a story in the, in the daily news or whatever. I think it's similar there. Uh, uh, I, 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 I doubt, I do not think they can extraterrestrial signal the ets are already here they now it admittedly there could be some extraterrestrial civilizations out there that are not interstellar that are sending out signals thinking that you know maybe somebody will hear us sure. but frankly i think before they once they had the technology to do that probably other ets would have already been in contact with them and uh they don't need to send out signals right and so again I'm, i've never been impressed with the whole et signal thing and that means I'm really not impressed with the entire SETI program. 
but let's don't go there because I have nothing nice to say. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of like, and I, I don't want to say I'm not impressed with when they said uh, Voyager up with that disc on there, you know, so that, so that when some alien race finds Voyager, they have this disc to play to see what we're doing here on Earth. Well, that's assuming that they can even read our technology when they get the thing, you know. And oh, no, they could read it. I can assure you. They would have understood that disc, except for the fact that it would take several hundred thousand years for it to get to another star system, you know. So, you know, so, so they read it. We'll all have been dead for a hundred thousand years. It was, made it this way. The Voyager thing was basically, it was a public relations, and there's a lot of that going on now. In fact, public relations dominates this entire thing. It's not about science right now. It's all about public relations, okay? Um, and that it was cool to do that, mm -hmm. uh, and it excited people a little bit, and anything that excites people about space is good for NASA, because NASA always needs money, all right? Uh, and so, it, it, but I, Carl Sagan knew how long it would take for that to arrive anywhere. Would it have to be discovered out in the vastness of space? Would it kind of come along and go, wait a minute, what's that thing over there? Let's go check that out. He knew that. But th there was a lot of interest in, it was, it was important to increase the interest of the general public in space mm -hmm. in order to get the funding for the research because a lot of people had trouble justifying it. Uh, and there's a good case that we have far too many problems here that need billions and billions of dollars. Why would we spend even a few million dollars on space? Well, we need to, right? We also need to solve our problems here. Uh, and that's really not about space. That's about defense, offense, uh, nuclear missiles, submarines, aircraft carriers, trillions of dollars in money spent so that to prevent other nations from killing us, right? And vice versa and so forth that's where the vast majority of money is being thrown down the toilet and why we can't deal with our pressing problems, not space. So that, that's kind of what the Spoyager was about. It was a wonderful little program. It was very cute. Uh, but uh, let's, let's put it this way. Carl Sagan was involved in that program. And I'm 99.9% .9 sure Carl Sagan at the time that was put together was fully aware there was an extraterrestrial presence. Sure, sure, sure. And what about South America? Because, I mean, for years, that's all you saw, reports coming out of South America. I mean, that, that, that's like a hotbed for these sightings. Mm, there's, well, it, it has sightings. The U.S. Yeah. has lots of sightings. There are sightings all over the world. Um, the U.S. And, and certainly, I think, to some degree, Soviet Union, Russia, have a a, a a higher level of interaction perhaps with the et uh, phenomena because of our nuclear power our nuclear weapons uh countries without nuclear weapons doesn't mean they don't have sightings mm -hmm. but we're kind of in a special slot for extra attention but there are sightings all over the world what varies all over the world is how easy it is to convey what has happened to media or whatever and get some attention to it uh, that varies. And so um, uh, it's uneven in, in, to the degree that there are X number of cases being reported and, and to what degree they're reported and what have you. But let's be clear. Now, but South America clearly has its own special uh, history, has its own special uh, cases. And, 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 and believe me, the South American people, the Central American people, and definitely the Mexican people are quite aware of this phenomena, which throughout most of the Latino world is called OVNI. Um, uh, so the, it's all important. It's a global thing. The ETs are engaging the planet, the whole planet, not this group or that group or this country or that country or this race, that race. I assure you they could care less about that, though they do care about nuclear weapons, whoever has them. But they're engaging the entire planet. And what's about to unfold will be planet wide. Now, when you say they're already here, what do you mean by that? I mean, they're they are they are in our airspace. Mm -hmm. uh, they have facilities here, they have bases here, and some may spend long periods here, but they are, they did not, they did not evolve on this planet, mm -hmm. almost certainly did not evolve in this solar system. We evolved in this solar system. They didn't. They're from another solar system. Mm -hmm. And as we learn more about it every single day, there are trillions of solar systems. There are tens of trillions of solar systems. 
there are millions of trades of solar systems in the universe, all right? But just in our galaxy alone, there's a lot. And so uh, the idea that, well, the odds of them coming from one of these other billions of solar systems that have planets uh, is really tiny, but the odds that they've been living in caves for the last billion years evolving alongside of this is minuscule to the point of vanishing. I'm sorry, folks. I know it's appealing. It makes for good science fiction. You put your money on that, you've got worse odds than a lottery ticket. Uh, they're from other solar systems, almost certainly outside of ours, because we know the history of our solar system pretty well, mm -hmm. all right? Uh, and we know pretty much what it's like and what the, 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 the planets in it are like. They're from another solar system. It's not, it's not rocket science. It's, and, the, and the principal reason why most anybody struggles with that is for, for decades, scientists were saying, oh, no, we're we could probably the only life in the universe. The odds of it happening more than once are very small. And the government's saying, yeah, no, no these, this is not real. It's not happening. And so essentially, the human race has been the victim of a global, global, but it varies from country to country, massive propaganda indoctrination program that up is down, left is right, good is evil, and so forth. Uh, and it worked 75 years. And a lot of people are going to be irritated about that when they finally learn about the disclosure uh, uh, process and learn about the truth embargo. Uh, and some of them will get really upset. There will be nasty books written and, and a lot of tirades on the internet and so forth. But the vast majority of people won't care. The vast majority of people are just going to want to know, whoa, mm -hmm. what do you got? What do you have? Tell, tell us all about it. What tech have you got? What do you know? Wow, I'm so excited. The vast majority of people are going to be just like that, particularly the millennials. Mm -hmm. But there will be a number of people that are going to rightly come forward and saying, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Right? Are you telling me that you have lied straight face, straight into our face for seven and a half decades, year after year, day after day? Are you telling me that? And the government's gonna say, Yeah, it was national security. I'm sorry. What can we say? That's what it's gonna be like. Do you think that the government has had agreements with with these extraterrestrials? You can't rule it out. Mm -hmm. you, you definitely cannot rule it out. Uh, the evidence, the hard evidence for it, including testimony, mm -hmm. first and secondhand witnesses is pretty thin. But you can't rule it out. And I can't put a percentage on it, but it's not, it's not trivial. Uh, I think one of the many things that will pose public relations problems post-disclosure for various agencies and so forth it could, and it will be a serious public relation problem, without question. Is they they've had they've had interaction, they've had formal interactions of some kind, and that's going to come out. There's no way they're going to once that once we get disclosure, everything ultimately is going to come out, particularly this kind of stuff, uh, and they're going to have to account for that. And we're going to want to know, well, who said what? Is there a record? Did you tape it? Were there any promises made? Any gifts exchanged? I mean, we're going to know all of that. Mm -hmm. And that is going to be some of the more intense, how would you say, uh, discussions going on between uh, journalists and, and, uh, and, and the government. Now, as it happens, if there were these kinds of interactions, I suspect they were early and you haven't been, you haven't, that hasn't been happening recently. Uh, in other words, if I had to put my money down, I would say, okay, if there was this, this happened, we're talking 40s, 50s. And most of the people that would have been involved in anything like that, anything formal uh, back and forth are dead. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hey, they're dead. Uh, so the people that are going to be having to explain it weren't involved in it, but they will have to confirm that, yeah, we knew about that and we... We knew that happened. We're aware of it, but that was embargoed as well. So they'll have to answer for that. But clearly, 
it's possible that what that interaction involved is going to be troubling to a lot of people. And, and, and uh, I, as I say, I don't care. You know, the government, if you, if you chose to join the military, if you chose to become a civil servant at the Pentagon or a CIA agent, if you chose to become a politician, I don't care how uncomfortable this is going to make you. If you don't want to be uncomfortable, go become a hedge fund manager or a, a sailor or something. I say a sailor, you know, mm-hmm. you know sail around, play, become a tennis pro, whatever the hell, I don't care, mm-hmm. right? Your discomfort is irrelevant to servicing your oath and doing your job. And so just do it. And if you do it with a certain humility and respect, the public will probably be pretty generous with you. But I don't want to hear about, oh, boy, that's just going to be awfully uncomfortable. We can't do that. Uh, Screw that. Do you think that some of the reason why the government has withheld this information is because they're afraid there's going to be a public panic? I think uh, I'm getting this phone turned off so that it doesn't bother us anymore. Uh, I think in the very early days, late 40s, 50s, I think certainly that argument was brought up. Uh, I, I, I can't put myself in their shoes. Mm-hmm. As far as I'm concerned, that what they should have been panicking about was the, the rise of nuclear weapon missile technology and missiles in the Soviet Union, which they were very upset about. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was something to panic about. They couldn't keep that from us, right? So we knew about that. And so at the same time, we're, we're learning that the, the Soviets have, have ICBM missiles. They, they're building those. They've got nuclear weapons. Uh, and we could have a nuclear war. And we were aware, aware of what that would be like because there was plenty of video of the Nagasaki and Hiroshima events. Mm-hmm. If that didn't panic us, why should we throw our hands up in the air and run around screaming if if they if they confirm there was an et present i mean the, the the nuclear war threat was far more i think upsetting to me than the et thing but but i'll tell you this it was it was just too convenient from the standpoint of the government putting that meme out there was just too convenient the, and, and they stuck it in the brookings report they played it up they feasted on the uh, the, the Halloween 1930s uh, um, program, Orson Welles's program that scared a few people, not as many as was reported, mm-hmm. because it served the truth embargo. Absolutely. And, 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 and in order to maintain the truth embargo, they, they not only had to keep the general public kind of at bay and out of it through various techniques, they had to keep people inside government from not cooperating. In other words, the people inside the government that knew about it, they also had to be, how would you say, managed. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they might just saunter on down to the New York Times and say, hey, look at these photos I have. And so they had powerful tools to use, meaning oaths that people sign, uh, their security status and so forth, uh, their career, their pensions, money, things like that. They had powerful tools. But obviously, that's kind of intimidating. You don't want to have to coerce, you know, good good American citizens who have signed up and signed oaths to be in the government and serve as civil servants or military and coerce them. You want to have them come along voluntarily. And so, the old panic thing they 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 dined out on that, meaning telling the people that that they needed to tell. Look, you need to go. You need to honor this this national security directives that we're following here. You need to honor this this truth embargo, because if if this gets out, it could create mass panic. It could it could crash markets. It could undermine religion. It it could, uh, you know, cats and dogs sleeping together. I mean, the whole nine yards. And so, and people, you know, th- that was a that was a reasonable thing. And so, yeah, they feasted on it, and and it helped keep people in line. I don't want to be the one that that destroys civilization by by you know loose lips sink ships whatever that nonsense mm-hmm. well it's not nonsense but i mean it's the same thing loose lips sh- sink ships and so that meme was put out and 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 nurtured uh for decades it became harder and harder as the years went by because what are the ets doing i mean are they are they what are they doing i mean what awful stuff is going on not much not much. And so uh, eventually that, that, that wore, wore out its welcome. But for decades, that was a big deal. 
uh, panic. Did they really believe it? I think that the, the really sharp people in our national security programs back then probably said no, but there were a few that did. Uh, it's harder to find that now. Uh, it's, the case is not a very good case to make. Why do you think they're starting to get become more open with this stuff now after all this time? The general reason is that the people within our vast national security state structure, what do you want to call it? Uh, the con there, there has always been, from the very beginning, people working in military, civilians in the Pentagon and elsewhere, and even some political people, could be not necessarily representatives, members of Congress, but staffers, because a lot of these people have worked multiple jobs. They work at the Pentagon, then they work over at the House of Representatives, whatever. There's always been people from the very beginning that had direct knowledge of this ET presence that their personal view with the public should be told. Right? It's always been there. Very powerful incentives and reasons and circumstances in the world have limited that number to a relatively small number, certainly not critical mass. Okay. Mm -hmm. In other words, if, if, if the policy decisions of the national security state were based on a, a majority rule, we were not even close to uh, a majority vote on that. All right. What happened is that through the work of thousands of people for 70 years, from 47 to 2017, many of which will be completely forgotten and unheralded, mm -hmm. some of which will be remembered, uh, all of which were working, were not paid, almost very few were paid in one way or another, all uh, on their own time with their own money, some as hobbies, some as second jobs, some as just passions. 70 years of that, by 2017, we had reached enough people. We had reached a place where there was enough people within the military intelligence community Air Force, Navy, Army, Pentagon, CIA, and so forth. Enough people that felt it, it was no longer appropriate to keep this information from the American people and by extension, the world's people, that a decision was made to take action, okay? And that action occurred in October of 2017. It had been in the planning stages going back, I think, to at least late 2015 possibly even mid 2015, meaning it was bubbling up behind the scenes, right? It wasn't formal. This wasn't a formal decision being made by the Secretary of Defense or the CIA director or the, uh, you know, the, uh, the you know, the, 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 the people running the Navy and the Army and so forth. No, this was privately cooked up by those within the military intelligence community that felt it's time to end the embargo. And that, that decision to take action coming from out of the military intelligence complex, it's what's triggered all that has happened in the last five years and taken us to where we are now. All right, that is, there are countless other things I could list, right, uh, that have helped get us here. Uh, but ultimately, it is that change of state that occurs between 15, late 2015 and 2017. The first move was the launching of the To the Stars Academy, a, 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 a for-profit public service corporation, but with a very unusual board of uh, advisory and board, right? In other words, in, in people. They all came from the military intelligence community which included government contractors as well. All from with, not just simply, they, they worked there for a while. We're talking careerists, mm -hmm. right? Who obviously, it wasn't hard to figure out that during their career, one way or another, they were either directly involved in ET related stuff or they knew about it, all right? They had, they had top of the line resumes. The kind of resumes that since they were out of government, could have gotten them very lucrative jobs. Believe me, they would have not had to worry about paying the rent. Instead, 
they they uh, uh, signed up to this organization, the To the Stars Academy, uh, became members, shareholders, or advisors, members of the board. There were 10 initially, and launched a website and announced their presence, which got a reasonable amount of attention. And you can find many articles. I, I logged in scores and scores of articles on my website, Paradigm Research Group. There's links to dozens and dozens of articles going in that period, 2017. Fine. I was in London at the time. I, I said, oh, my God, I got to get back to the United States. Took me about four months. Finally got back. A little late to the game. So I had to kind of sit on the sidelines for a while. Uh, but uh, that was a big deal. But that was nothing compared to the first real substantive act of the To The Stars Academy people. Not so much the To The Stars Academy, but it just so happened that people involved in it, mm -hmm. people on the board, somehow, one way or another, presented to Leslie Kane, a, a journalist who had, deal, had written about this genre, information regarding ET-related events, namely the Nimitz event, and potentially other events, hallmarked by gun camera footage. Ralph Blumenthal was brought in into the picture, and Ralph, I believe it was Ralph, or both, Ralph and Leslie, presented this story to the New York Times. That was done sometime in early December, could have been late November of 2017. The New York Times vetted the stories, vetted the evidence, vetted the people involved, and published two stories, December 16th, 2017, in the print edition. And the next day, they put them up on the web edition, which is way more important than the print edition, right? For those of you that are following along with the developments of modern media. And the reason that web edition of these two articles was so extremely important is because obviously they could put the gun camera clip footage up, which they could not do in the print edition the day before. And those gun camera clips, particularly the the most famous one, the Tic Tac clip, were then replayed, copied worldwide and have been out there for five years, seen by, I'm going to speculate, a billion plus people, okay? Right? If you go on YouTube, you can see the number of people, but forget that. It's been on every, newspaper sites and media sites and, and YouTube and other sites. I'm going to guess a minimum of a billion people have seen the gun camera flip clip of the Tic Tac. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, and so, and also heard the evidence regarding that event. You know how it went from 80,000 feet down to sea level in a flash like that? Try that sometime. See how it goes for you. Uh, unprecedented. It was the first gun camera clips of UAP intercepts ever released by any government ever. And there are tens of thousands of these clips in the archives and vaults of all of the nations with airplanes. And by airplanes, I mean military airplanes, okay? Mm -hmm. Three got out. That's all we needed. And that they, they were only edited clips. <laughs> they were only part of the total. The total clips were much larger than that. You just got a little bit. That's what, that's what the Pentagon was willing to put out under the circumstances, but that was more than enough. 2017, December 16th, 17th. This is one of the most important journalistic events of all time. There needs to be a Pulitzer Prize there. Probably should go to Blumenthal and Kane. Uh, they'll probably get it eventually. Uh, it was a paradigm shift of extraordinary significance. And from that, it was... I like to call it the big bang of the modern disclosure era, but it's not really a great analogy because believe me, the thing had been cooking for, for, for 70 years, but who knows the universe, it could have been kind of boiling away in that singularity for 70 years and then boom exploded. And, but in two, December 16th, 17th, 2017, everything that happened led to boom. And so since then the, this, the awareness, the standing, the engagement, 
of this issue has been accelerating out from that event. And the only reason why we haven't had disclosure already is because there was a great deal of other stuff happening that slowed down this wave. I guess you could, this information wave uh, is really slowed it down. Like light going through a certain uh, matter. Light travels, you know, the speed of light through the vacuum. But if it's going through water and other thing, it slows it down. Well, okay. It was like that. This event was being slowed down by the substrate that it was having to go through the, the, the interesting times that I referred to. The chaos. All right. That was, it was unfolding. And let me let me add. And, and so but nevertheless, five years is nothing compared to 75 years. And so after five years, we are now closing in on probably the prize disclosure. But I should add and I, I, I like to do this because the Clintons last time I checked were still alive. Mm -hmm. uh, this issue got its first major political. Uh, how would you say attention during the first term of President Bill Clinton, who actually tried to make a move on it and was basically told by the Pentagon, go away, you silly little boy. And his wife was fully aware of all of it. In fact, she was involved in this effort that lasted three years called the Rockefeller Initiative. I'm absolutely convinced and no one has ever uh, uh, disagreed with me that Secretary Clinton fully intended to engage this issue immediately upon becoming president of the United States and undoubtedly was going to create the basis for disclosure. And she could have done it in 60 days, right? And that was the plan. Uh, the stage was set. I had champagne already stored, ready to pop, parties ready to hold, you know? Uh, and so if she had won the election, we would already be probably five years into the post-disclosure world. She did not. And 90% of the blame for that is on her. She also has not done anything significant about this issue since. They, they stayed away from it. Now, I know why. But in the last year, they could have come forward more. They have said a couple of things. And so both of them have, have made a deal with themselves that, I don't know, they, they just will not step into this issue and, and lend some significant gravitas to it. Mm -hmm. Maybe they don't feel it's necessary. It's all moving forward but they could at any time do this and going on some talk show, which Bill Clinton recently did and saying that usual thing, same thing, same thing he said back in 2016, that, that, that's, that's not enough. Get serious about this secretary Clinton, president Clinton. Okay. I know a great deal about what you know. Okay. And I'm not happy to tell people that. All right. And so I'm just going to say to you through the, and, I, and I've done, I, 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 I opened letters to her back in the 16th and whatever the hell, point is, I just say it again, step into this issue. All right. Because you deserve some credit, right? You, you and your, your top advisor, John Podesta have done a lot to keep this issue alive in the media and also the political connection. Mm -hmm. Take a little credit, step into it. Don't, don't, don't let, you know, uh, you know, Marco Rubio and Mark Warner and Gillibrand and Gallegos and Burchett and, and, and Carson and so forth uh, mm -hmm. have to simply carry this totally by themselves. Maybe they're afraid that it would politicize it too much and it would take away from them. They don't want to to uh, stand in the light, you know, stand in their light. I, th maybe that's the case, but they could do more than they're doing. Mm -hmm. right. But yeah, we could have had disclosure back in 2017. Looks like we're going to get it pretty soon. However, it's not done yet. And until it's done yet, I shall continue to do interviews like this. Thousands of them. Well, my question is now: When they finally do decide to do this disclosure, are they going to give it all to us in, all at once, or are they going to trickle it out? You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of instead of like dumping it on us, maybe overwhelming people with it, they're they're just going to give us little bits and pieces and, and, and build up. No, they'll be responsible about it, and I have no trouble with that. The process itself needs to be responsible. The mm -hmm. disclosure process needs to include hearings, military witnesses with huge audiences watching and very nonpartisan intelligent questions, all of which I think will happen, thus setting the platform for what would be a relatively non-political announcement by the president. Yes, there's extraterrestrials here, more to come, okay? Uh, but disclosure with the capital D, the prize, is a, a single event. It can happen in 10 minutes, it can happen in five minutes. The moment those words come out of the president's mouth, 
and I assure you it won't be a tweet. It will be a statement verbally in the East Wing to the press. I've been there. You know what it's like. That's disclosure instantly. That's it. Capital D. Now, the post-disclosure world is the era immediately following that. And that's when we start learning things, lots of things. Uh, there is a vast amount of research already out there that suddenly becomes legitimized, meaning, oh, oh, you were right. Oh, wow. You, I should read your book. I should watch that documentary, uh, you know, whatever. And by, come on my show. There'll be a lot of that. So, so there will be a huge amount of information that will suddenly be looked at for the first time by many journalists and citizens uh, or uh, re revisited. And that'll be great. And there's, a, there's enough of that to keep people busy for months and months and months and months. But naturally, people are going to want to know what the government knows. What have they got? Mm -hmm. And so the government's problem, the president's problem, the administration's problem, and the Congress's problem, and the DOD's problem is what do we tell them and when do we tell them? Mm -hmm. What do we classify and what do we keep classified? Do we play with this at all or are we straight up? In other words, we, we tell them something, but we kind of skew it, right? We're gonna, I, I strongly encourage them to play absolutely straight up on this because the tolerance for any not tomfoolery, nonsense, evasion, obfuscation, and mendacity is zero. And unlike 1969, when you came out with the uh, bogus conclusion of the, of, of the uh, Condon report that there was nothing here and grotesquely embarrassed yourself, there was no social media. Mm -hmm. Now the social media is the size of Jupiter. And so if you want to play games with this issue post-disclosure, the social media is going to crush you like Superman turns a piece of coal into a diamond. All right. So play it straight, folks. Don't screw with this. But. They can play it straight, but still they have to decide. Can mm -hmm. we tell you this now? I, I, I expect and want them to, to do, to, to go about it in a way that is both truthful, responsible, and minimally disruptive, un, not unnecessarily disruptive. In other words, there are a lot of things the government can tell us about the ET issue that people would go, hmm, that's great. I like that. Good. That's interesting. And it would be cool. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's some things they are going to tell us that we're going to go, oh boy, that's when I almost wish I didn't know that. All right. So if you're, you start off with comfortable material and information, you declassify things that are certainly don't pose an immediate threat. You get the public involved, you get the process going, but you don't wait too long and then you start getting to the more difficult material. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nothing wrong with that. It's okay. As long as it's not unduly delayed. And then, but you know, you, you want to get the initial impact over with. In other words, there's going to be a certain level of shock, certain level of, uh, of uncertainty, confusion. You want to get through that where people start to get used to it. And believe me, humans can get used to anything. I think if the human race has proved anything to the extraterrestrials, there's nothing we can't get used to. Believe me, nothing. Okay. We're really good at that. Oh, we get upset, complain, throw our hands up in the air. And then after two weeks, it's ah, whatever. Okay. That's just the way we are. That's why there's so many of us, 8 billion. <laughs> so anyway, um, we will get, we will get used to it it will become almost a little mundane. But after that initial period, then the more difficult, complex, challenging material should come forward. And okay. some of that is challenging, not because it's com too complex to understand, but because it's gonna piss a lot of people off. I mean, it really is going to make a lot of people angry. And uh, um, okay. But again, if they've already been getting information and, and, and there's a learning curve that's underway and then they get the challenging information, they're going to be more reasonable about it. They're going to be more generous. Uh, okay. All right. Now, somebody could say, why didn't you tell that this, you know, why didn't you tell us this day one? You know, but it's like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, you, 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 one of your neighbors dies or, you know, one of the, the husband of one of your dies. And you got to go over there and tell her, 
you don't just knock on the door and open the door and say, uh, uh, you know, the grass is looking really good out there in the yard, you know, and boy, that new car you bought, that's fantastic. And uh, by the way, your husband just died. No, you, you, you have to, you have to go about it in a, in a reasonable way. Um, and I, and, and I have been saying this for years. So if, if things go smoothly, the government should undoubtedly contact me with the, with, with the, their, their, their praise and, and, accol and accolades and so forth. But I mean, I've been trying to make that point. Expect difficult material. Don't expect it on day one, but be, try to be understanding. Get, allow them to do it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let them, you know, in other words, give them the gift of doing it as opposed to pulling it out of them, right? Meaning, you know, I'm pulling this out of you, right? And I, you know, I haven't said anything yet, but I'm on you, right? That's, you, you, you know, let them do it and, and let them get the, the praise and let them get the appreciation, all right? Because we, they're not the enemy. Mm -hmm. We need their cooperation in many ways. And so be a good winner. Right. Be a good winner about this. I mean, a lot of people are going to be gloating and, and strutting and everything else uh, the day after disclosure. Oh, big time. Great. Fine. I get it. But be careful there. I was a tennis player. I played a lot of tennis in my, in my youth. I was pretty good. And it's a one on one sport. Right. Very intense. OK. And one of the things I learned early on. Is that. You know, what's worse than a bad loser. A bad winner. Mm -hmm. A bad winner is much worse. Okay. You see, when somebody loses the match, they got a right to be a little irritated. They lost the match. Maybe they didn't play very well. So they're angry and they're being a bad winner. And you're going, yeah, I kind of get it. Okay. I, I appreciate it. And I, that happened. Somebody's a bad winner. And they, you know, because everybody wants to play somebody better than them. And what happens is you get beat, right? And some people don't like that. But then two weeks later, they come back and say, hey, can we play a math, play a game? I I'm going to play. It's okay. But a bad winner, someone that wins the match and then acts like an ass, right, or struts the stage or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, or just generally just, uh-uh. That person comes to me two weeks later and says, you want to play? I say, I don't think so. I'm not interested. We cannot afford to be a bad winner here. Uh, we've got to be generous and be good, good winners. And, and if we are, we will get a lot more information a lot sooner. Mm -hmm. I'm preaching, baby. I'm preaching. I hear you. I hear you, you should be saying things like, tell it, brother. Tell it. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, thank you so much for coming on tonight. I appreciate it. I learned so much from you about this. I've been fascinated with this topic for a while. And uh, I'd like to get you back on sometime when, when all this stuff starts coming to the forefront again, you know? I almost never turn down the opportunity to be at a microphone, so don't worry. Uh, there there's a, hey, look, I uh, should mention that I'm in Hollywood right now, and later in this year, I'm going to make a pretty substantial announcement about a pretty substantial project. Okay. I'll be come on and talk about that, of course. Absolutely. Uh, uh, and I can also say that having been spending time in Los Angeles for a year, you would not believe how much UAP, ET content material is cooking in this town and that shouldn't shock anybody or right? mm -hmm. i've been predicting this for years and so uh hey there'll be no lack of uh, of of et stuff to watch folks it's all you're already starting to see it it's only getting started and probably within two years you're going to be so sick of it you can't stand it and just you'll just you know but whatever uh hollywood is about to finally really get into the game and by that i don't mean another aliens five uh, or five more Avatar movies, that's all fine. I'm talking about nonfiction. I'm talking about reality content on this subject, right? Which ultimately is maybe not as fun to watch as some of the, you know, the theatrical stuff, mm -hmm. but very, it will still be pretty compelling and very important because Hollywood film industry has the power to educate the globe as no other industry has. Right. That's why our movies make a billion dollars because they get watched by a billion people. Mm -hmm. All right. So the Hollywood is going to help educate the entire planet about this issue. It's going to be a major component, which is why I, I'm here and I've uh, been here for about a year and a half because I, I want to I want to help that happen. So more about that later this year. Okay. Charlotte, it's nice to be with you, by the way, as I told you in an email, Charlotte was my wonderful mother's name. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite attached to that name. And 
and uh, I wish you the best with your paranormal show. I wish you the best too. How can people find you? Uh, ParadigmResearchGroup.org. And you go there, the email is right there, PRG at ParadigmResearchGroup.org. There's also a subscribe to the email list there. It's all free. So uh, ParadigmResearchGroup.org. It's a pretty substantial website. Mm -hmm. And particularly if you go to that website, ParadigmResearchGroup.org, go to the resources section and check out the print media archive. There's nothing else like it on the internet. It is the largest assemblage of linked articles on this subject in the world. Okay. Well, I'll okay. We'll have to do that. All right, Stephen. Right. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Have a good evening. All right, guys. I learned a lot. Anyway, um, I'm going to go and uh, head on over. Well, let me do my whole thing. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, share it with five people. We're equal opportunity here at California Hunts Radio. If you're watching from YouTube, please hit that subscribe button. If you're watching from Facebook, please follow. And the same goes for Twitch. Anyway, um. Oh, yeah, that's right. I'm kind of, um, we, have, we kind of operate as a nonprofit here at California Haunts. Pretty much, um, I'm the owner. <laughs> so anything you see here comes out of my pocket. So if you could find it in your heart to donate a little bit to help me keep the show on the air and keep these guests coming, that would be great. You can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts. Or if you're uncomfortable with PayPal, you can do that at Venmo and just type in California Haunts. Anyway, tomorrow our guest is going to be Eric Mintel. He is a jazz musician, but he's a jazz musician that also is a paranormal investigator. And he's investigated everything from cryptids to UFOs to ghost, ghostly encounters. So he's going to be with us tomorrow at 6.30 p.m. Anyway, I want to thank everybody for coming. And for those people and for those folks that have signed up for Nancy's event, I, I will be going over there right now as soon as, I'm, as soon as we're off the air here. Give me about five minutes. You guys can go grab a drink or whatever you want to do because I have to... Uh, download this the, the, this video on my hard drive because um, I'm out of space at StreamYard, so I have to make space for the new show, so this other thing we're doing so we can record it for you guys. Um, also, if you haven't signed up yet and you still want to sign up for that event, go to Meet California Haunts Meetup, sign up there, and, uh, okay, Jerry, I thought I gave the link over at Meetup. All right, I'll send you the link. Anyway, uh, and uh, I'll send you a link because it looks like people aren't getting the links like they're supposed to off of Meetup. Okay, anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and I will see you all tomorrow. Let me get my buttons going. There.